Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Well, morning, church. How are you? It's good to see you. Glad that you guys are here for worship today. Uh, man, we've had a big week. Hope you've had a good week, but I'm glad that we get to continue our worship together. Uh, hey, before we jump in for today, I want you guys to do me a favor. In front of you on your chairs, uh, unless you're on the front row, so sorry, uh, there is a little card uh, in the back of the thing. Grab that card out of that pocket, if you will, and look at it. Uh, we have put these here for you, and I want to make sure you know kind of what they are and how to use them. Uh, but a couple different things. One, we would love for you to stay connected to all the different things that are happening uh, in our church. Uh, if you haven't been here in a while, it is a, it's a, one of our core values is community. Uh, this worship service is an important part of what we do, but it is by no means all of what we do. There are things going on all throughout the week. There's different groups that meet. There's events that are happening. And we really want you to become a part of a community of faith. And so you do that by getting involved in different things. So one of the ways you can do that is just by texting in the know to 43506. Uh, and what that'll do is it'll sign you up to, for our text thread. Uh, every Sunday, we will send you a text at around 2 p.m. in the middle of your nap uh, to help you. I've been told. I have. Um, and so look, but it's going to have all our announcements. And so if you forgot the stuff we said early, you had to come in a couple minutes late. Hey, you've got all those announcements or you remember later in the week, oh, what was that thing? It's already on your phone. You can click on it. You can find the links. You can get signed up. You can find out what's going on uh, in our congregation because we really do want you to be engaged beyond the Sunday service. Great as this is, I mean, we want you to get involved in the lifeblood of the church. And that's one of the ways that you can do that. If you turn on, and you've got all that information on that card, but if you flip it around, it says response card. Uh, and look, every single week, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, there's a QR code if you want to do it with your phone or you can fill it out. Uh, and, and look, you say, hey, I'd, I want to talk to a pastor or hey, I'd like to join the church or hey, I just want somebody to pray for me. We would love the privilege of praying for you. You can fill out these cards, drop them off at Connections, drop them in the offering basket. You can hand it to me at the end of the service. Or like I said, you can do that with your phone uh, later. But look, we want you to know you can communicate with us. We want to be involved in what you're doing. And this is one of the main ways that we can do that. So those are there in your chairs every single week whenever you need them. So you can go ahead and keep that. We've got more. Uh, put it in your Bible for whenever you need it. Uh, but we'll put more back in there. We would love for you to get connected here at Double Oak Community Church. And if you're new here, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, hey, quick update on Easter. We had an amazing set of Easter services last week. Thank you all of you guys uh, for coming. We had uh, over 2,800 people between our two campuses. It's the largest crowd between our two campuses we have ever had at Easter, which is amazing. We're excited about over eight. It is exciting. It's something to be excited about. Over 1,800 of those right here at Mount Laurel. And if you were here, you know that because it was crowded, Right. It was packed. It was amazing. You guys spaced yourselves accordingly. We're thankful for that. Uh, and, and guess what? I, I want to say, well, not guess what, but I just want to say a huge thanks uh, to all of you who uh, volunteered and helped us over the course of the week from Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, uh, Easter Sunday, uh, people who came and helped us set up, who, who put all the decorations up uh, during Good Friday. That took a lot of time and a huge team, ton of people there. For all of you who volunteered on Sundays, whether in our parking team or, or coffee or greeters, connections, ushers, uh, helping out with the overflow Service, helping out uh, with our kids. There were so many of you guys who stepped up and helped us because we cannot pull off a massive weekend like that without all of your help. So thank you so much for all that you did, but we were incredibly encouraged by what we saw the Lord do on our campus and can't wait to see what he's about to do next. Uh, so thank you for that. But let's grab our Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 is where we're going to be this morning. As we continue on this journey, this unexpected journey with Jesus to and through the cross. 
Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11 is where we'll be in just a moment. Hopefully, you got a copy of God's Word there with you. Uh, If not, uh, maybe a device. And if you don't have those, I'm sure somebody next to you will be happy to let you look on with them. Uh, But we'll be in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11 in just a minute. While you guys are turning there, let me ask you a question. What do we do with good news? Like when you have good news, what's one of the very first things you do with it? What do we do? We share it, right? That's, that's what you do with good news. If you're here at Easter last week, we talked a little bit about bad news and the prevalence of that in our culture, but it's great when you get good news, and what we do with good news is we share it. It's just natural. Nobody has to tell us to do that. We just do it. Think about any great thing you've experienced of late and how we almost instantly just wanted to share it, right? If you saw an amazing movie, we're going to say, hey, I saw this movie, man. You got to go see that. You read a great book. Hey, I just finished this book. You, I'm still thinking about it. You need to read this book. You see a video, man. What do you do? Instantly share it. You want to show it to people. Hey, check this out. This was incredible. Music, whatever it is, when we find something great, we want other people to experience it. It's good news. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. We share it. And we're not told to do that. We just want to do that. I actually see this in multiple ways in my life. I found out another one this past week. I don't know if you have this problem, but I have a problem uh, that when I buy a gift, I have a hard time waiting until the appropriate time to give it. Does anybody else have this problem? Just me. Okay, great. Um, I I found this out last week. Allison's birthday is in a couple weeks, and I already bought her one of the gifts this past week, and we just gave it to her, right? I'm like, it's two weeks. Why wait, right? It's here now. It's a good gift. I'm excited. Why wait? It's just, just two weeks. Just have it now. I can't wait, right? It's a good thing, and when we have good things, we want to give it to people. We want to share it with people. We don't want to hoard it or keep it to ourselves. It's just the most natural thing for us to want to share good news. How much more so then ought there to be a joy in sharing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You and I have been invited to join him in sharing the greatest news that there has ever been in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've been with us these past few weeks, we've been on this journey. About three weeks ago, we started in the middle of Mark where Jesus makes this turn towards Jerusalem. Peter declares him to be the Christ. And he says, I am the Christ. You're right. But he instantly says, hey, anybody who wants to save his life is going to lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. He's walking a path and he asks us to follow Two weeks ago, we looked at the triumphal entry where Jesus is moving into Jerusalem and people hail him as the Messiah, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus does not refute it. But as Greeks come to seek him, he actually says, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to the cross. And if you want to follow me, you've got to go with me through the loss of your life so that you might gain eternal life. Last week, we walked the path of Jesus through Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. As Jesus goes to the cross on crucifixion Friday, and the disciples are destroyed as they they watch their Savior murdered in front of them. They're there on desolate Saturday when they don't know what to do, but then last Sunday, we had just the joy of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is not dead. He's alive. 
Jesus Christ has paid for all of our sins. And now because he has risen again, there is salvation in Jesus Christ. You can have peace. You can have forgiveness. You can have love. You can have acceptance. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have all of these things and more because Jesus Christ is alive. And that's not just for you. That's for anybody who is willing to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. They too can have eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. But now we here we are a week after Easter, and it begs the question, okay, so what now? What do we do now with that? We've celebrated Easter like we always have, and so it's okay, what's the next thing? What are we supposed to do? Now that Jesus has risen again, what, what is he calling the disciples to do? That's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples for the time span of about 40 days. He comes and goes. Uh, but he teaches them different things. He appears not just to the apostles, but to hundreds of other people as well. But after the end of that 40 days, look at what happens. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, so when the, the, they had come together, that's the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive a power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were all gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I'll stop right there. Put yourselves in the shoes of the apostles. Jesus is alive. He has done the impossible. And he has told you he died for the forgiveness of sins. You are overjoyed because who can beat this? This is the greatest miracle ever. This isn't simply raising somebody from the dead or healing somebody. Jesus has conquered sin, death, and hell. They are elated. And now they are ready for Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. You actually see their expectation in verse 6. Look what he says. It says, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? They're basically saying, okay, Jesus, I know you did a little bit more than what we were expecting, but now, now can we put Israel back on the map? Now can we put Israel back on top? Now can you kick out the Romans? Man, I can't wait to see the Romans' faces. The Romans kill everybody. They can't kill Jesus. What are they going to do when they see him? This is going to be amazing. And just get the popcorn. This is going to be fun. Watch what Jesus does. I mean, they're excited just to watch him do something. Jesus is back. He cannot be stopped. They just assume now he's going to go and put everything right, and they can just kind of follow behind and watch him. And Jesus just kind of takes that and brushes it aside and says, that's actually not how things are going to play out. That is not what we're doing here. But you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then as he is talking, he is ascending. He, he actually starts to float. And then he's being taken away from them. And they're, they're trying to hear what he said. Wait a minute. Ends of the earth? But, but you're coming back now, right? I mean, you're not leaving. I mean, you can't leave. I mean, you just got here. You did the, the whole thing. I mean, we, gotta, we got things to do. Jesus, he's still going. He, he's leaving. He's not, he's not leaving. He's, he's, I think he left. And then two angels show up. So yeah, he's gone. He's, you, you stop staring. It's getting awkward now. And they're like, what? What do we do now? Like, 
I thought he was going to do the thing. Isn't, isn't he going to do the thing? And, and there they are waiting once again. But look at what Jesus told them. Two things that are incredibly important. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For his apostles, he gives them two things. He says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses. This is a particular word, but he says, listen, you are going to be the ones to declare to others, I saw Jesus. I know for a fact that this is true. I know without a doubt Jesus died and he rose again. I put my hands in the nail prints. I saw him die and I have seen him physically alive. They are going to be his witnesses. They're going to go and share the truth of the resurrection with everybody that they see. But then secondly, he says, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus leaves, he is not abandoning them. He physically ascends to heaven, but then he's going to send his Holy Spirit into every single one of his believers. And now the plan begins to come into view. Instead of asking the entire world to come and see the physical Jesus in Jerusalem, he says, no, I'm going to ascend and put myself, my very spirit, into every single born-again believer, and I'm going to send you to the far corners of the world. I'm going to send you into every single country, every single neighborhood, every single people group in my people. I'm going to empower you by my own very spirit that every single one of my believers can be a witness to the entire world. This is how the kingdom of God moves forward. And look, it's been doing that for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years since the ascension, these very witnesses told others, who told others, who told others, down throughout the generations until finally somebody got to Birmingham, Alabama. Until we got to 2023. And we are all gathered here now. Why? Because somebody told you that Jesus Christ is alive. And then you met him. You experienced him. You realize this isn't just a, an historical event. No, the God of the universe loves me so much that he died for me. I was a sinner. I don't deserve this. But he gave me his life. I've now been forgiven, accepted. I have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. This is the greatest news that has ever been told. And so here's the call. What do we do now? Jesus has a very clear call to every single born-again believer. We are to be his witnesses in our area, in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, the streets we walk, the friends we hang around with, the family that we're in. We are called to be his witnesses, filled by the Holy Spirit, to spread his gospel, the good news, to share this amazing news with a world that desperately needs to hear it. This is our call. And so the question I have for all of us this morning is, is are we witnesses for Jesus Christ? By what we say and by how we live, are we witnesses of the fact that Jesus has died and risen again and is transforming us? Are we witnesses? And I am just proud to say, that for so many of you in this room, that answer is an emphatic yes, because I see it in you. I see how you live. I see how you interact with others. I see how you give and love and serve and help. And I know about how you were speaking the gospel. You, you tell me about these things. Sometimes you had an opportunity to share the gospel with a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. And he said, I want these people to know that the love that I know, the salvation that I know, you have been an incredible witness for Jesus Christ. And praise God that you are doing what God has called each and every one of us to do. 
But let's be honest. For some of us in this room, if not many of us, we might say, Adam, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I don't know if I can with integrity say that I'm being a witness for him. I don't know if people actually see Jesus Christ in me. I don't even know if my, my coworkers would know that I'm a Christian or my friends would know that I'm a Christian. They wouldn't see anything terribly different in my life than, than in some of their lives. I don't, I don't know if I can really say that I'm a witness. And this morning, if that's you, I just want to ask the question, why, why might that be? Why is it the case that we would say, Adam, I know I am a Christian, but I am not living as a witness. This is his call to us, for all of us. Why would I not live on mission to share the good news of Jesus with those around me? And there's multiple different answers to that question, but I hope we can at least open up our hearts uh, to honestly contemplate what that might be. So let me give you a few different options of what that might be. Why uh, would we as believers not live uh, on mission as witnesses filled with the Holy Spirit in this world. The first reason is this. We might not be living as witnesses because we don't actually believe the good news. It could be that we're not a witness because we don't actually believe the good news. Now, look, I know that sounds very heavy-handed, right? That's tough. Like, that's a hard thing to say, and it is. And look, that's not the only reason, but it is a reason that we at least have to contemplate. It is a reason that we at least have to look at. We have to evaluate, is that actually true in my life? Because here's what we already have decided. When people get good news, we typically don't have to be told to share it. Like when you believe good news, people typically don't have to tell you to go tell that stuff. You just go tell people. Which, P.S., we are already witnesses for lots of other things in our lives, are we not? We witness for a lot. First off, for many of us, we are witnesses for our favorite sports team. We are, okay? We're witnesses, are we not? Uh, we love to talk about our sports team. If you ask somebody, hey, who's your favorite college football team? That will be the last question you ask because the air will now be filled by why your friend loves their favorite sports team. They will tell you in exhaustive detail that you did not want why their team is number one. And P.S., everyone's team is number one. Have you noticed that? Even though that's categorically impossible, only one team can be number one, and no team is number one for all time, even though they will tell you otherwise. They are lying. Their team is not number one. Not always, maybe sometimes, but not always. Oh, no, we're number one. We love our sports team. Do you know what I read this week? I could not believe this. I read an article this week. It was comparing the defenses for the college football teams this coming fall. It was comparing and ranking the defenses for college football teams that have not played yet. They have had two practices. Some of these kids just got to campus. But we're already, no, no, we can rank them. My team's number one. Just yeah, my team's number one. This is irrational. There's, there's nothing here. We are making this up. This is literally nothing. No, 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 my team's number one. I'm number one. It's my team. Why? Because we are witnesses for our team. We look for reasons and ways to tell people about our team because we love them. We're witnesses for our politics. Uh oh, we said politics. <laughs> We're all polarized today. Everybody wants to tell everybody about their politics. I'm right, you're wrong. My team's right, your team's wrong. We're right, you're wrong. And we got to tell everybody. Everybody needs to know about my politics. Why? Because if I tell everybody my politics, it will change their mind, which is why you post and post and post and post and post, and that's changing hearts and minds. 
But I got to tell everybody. I need everybody to know that I am right and they are wrong. They need to think like me. And so I post, 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 reply, reply, retweet, retweet, retweet. I got to tell everybody about these things. And P.S., you feel the need to tell the entire world. This is what we were doing when we were posting. You realize that? We're posting to the entire world. No, I'm not. Just my friends. It's really? Tell that to the kid who just got arrested for putting online documents into his like, video game Slack channel. It goes everywhere. I got to tell everybody. Why? Because you believe it. You're passionate about it. And we tell everyone. We are witnesses for our politics. Let's get real close to home. Uh, let's talk about uh, grandparents and their grandkids. If you ask any grandparent about their grandkids, you will see pictures. That's what's going to happen. It doesn't matter if you wanted to see pictures. You probably didn't. But you're going to see pictures. Why? Because they got them, and they're going to show you. They will go on and on about their grandkids. Grandparents, I hate to say the quiet part out loud. I need you to understand this. No one cares about these pictures. They don't. They don't. You do, and it's great, right? But other people do not care nearly as much as you do. And look, I understand this because I do the same thing. I'm a dad. And you understand, I have thousands of pictures of my daughter. They are objectively the cutest pictures you have ever seen. You think you've seen cute pictures. You have not. I have them. They're of my daughter. They are amazing. Now, I realize I might be a hair bias, right? It doesn't matter. Have you seen this? And, 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 and you're going to show people things. Why? Well, look, I, I, I want to testify to the love and adoration I have for my daughter. You don't have to tell me to do that. I'm just going to show you. Look, when you love something, when something impacts you, you don't have to be told to be a witness for it. We just are. How then could we not be a witness to the love of Jesus Christ that he has given to us? If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you actually believe that you have been saved from your sins, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, do you remember what he said? He said, greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he does so. It means that you are the recipient of the greatest love in the entire universe and all of human existence. How could we not share that? How could we not tell other people what Christ has done for us? And we don't even deserve it. We are, we are sinners. We've done everything to lose the love of God. And God comes after us. He dies on the cross for us. He rises to, from the grave. And then he doesn't even want me to, to pay him back or, to, or to, to work it off. He just gives us by his grace salvation, which means there's forgiveness for anybody and everybody. Not just the best and brightest, not just the holiest among us, but for anybody who would repent of their sins and give their lives to the Lord, you get acceptance. You get an eternal life that cannot be taken away from you. You will never be cast out by the Lord. You'll be cast out by the, the internet, by the world, by your friends quicker than anything. You will never be cast out by the Lord. This is the greatest news there can possibly be if we have been transformed by so great a love why would we not share it? Which begs again the question, maybe it is we just haven't actually believed it. Maybe it's possible that we just haven't actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And look, if that's you, we've all been there. We all start there. 
No one starts their life as a believer. We all start as lost sinners. And sooner or later, we have to understand that and then surrender our lives to the Lord. And, and you might be there today. And you say, Adam, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But that might be the case. And I beg of you, seek him. Abide in him. Do what you're doing right now, which is seeking him in, in worship. Maybe you're listening to this podcast. And you want, you want to, you're seeking him in worship. Listen to him. Pray. Don't make him do all the work. Talk to him. Open up his word and look and say, God, reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. And as you read these words, let him impact you. Help him reveal himself to you and show you that, yes, you are a sinner, but you are loved and you can be saved. You can have eternal life in the risen Jesus Christ. When you experience him and recognize that he actually is alive, and you are loved and forgiven, it will spur us on to share that good news with the people around us. Amen. So the first reason we might not share is that we do not believe the good news. Here's the second reason we might not share the good news. We don't believe it's our job. We say, Adam, that is not my job. That is your job. You are the preacher. It is quite literally your job, Adam, to preach the gospel. And you would be right. That is my job. It is my job to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, but it is not only my job. Not that I have other jobs, but we are all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we might be tempted to say, Adam, I just want to kind of leave that to the professionals. You guys have been to seminary. You, you preach a lot. You do this a lot. How about I just bring friends to church, and then you preach at them, and we're good, Right? And we'll just kind of divide and conquer. I do my thing, you do your thing, and we'll all be fine. But, but I don't actually have to share the gospel. You share the gospel, but, but I don't have to do that, right? Actually, you do. Because this calling to share the gospel doesn't just come to a select few. It doesn't just come to the professionals. It comes to every single born-again believer. I want to show you that through a few passages. We're here in Acts, but I want to show you some verses that come before it and some verses that come after it. Some are going to be in Luke and others are going to be in Acts. Uh, but you need to know those two books are both written by the same author. The Dr. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So in all the passages we're going to read, these are all written by the same author. It's a two-volume work. I want to show you what, what Luke reveals to us about how Jesus empowers all believers to be his witnesses. So let's go back and first look at Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 6. It says, And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and don't have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet, as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. All right, this is interesting. All right, so Jesus calls his 12 disciples and sends them out to do exactly what he had been doing, but without him. It's not Jesus healing and casting out demons and preaching. It's the disciples. They go do these things. They didn't know they could do that. They had never done that. But Jesus sends them out to do what he had done. Okay, so far, so good. You say, yeah, Adam, but those are the apostles. Look what happens in the very next chapter. This is Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others 
and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He sends them to towns and says, look, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, here's it. This is interesting. It sounds a lot like what he told the original 12. And they're going to do the exact same thing. They are preaching. They are healing. They're casting out demons. They get the same kind of warnings and the things to say. But this isn't the 12. This is 72 other guys. Who are they? We don't know. They're other disciples. Sometimes when you and I think about Jesus, we assume he's only traveling with the 12, but that is not the case. There are many other people also traveling with Jesus. He sends 72 other people out to do the very things that Jesus was doing. So now fast forward, we get to Acts 1 where we are today. Jesus is resurrected and Jesus gives this call and says, you will be my witnesses. Question, is he only talking to the 12 or is he talking to everybody? We said, look, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to have the Holy Spirit descend upon you. Well, what happens next? Let's look at Pentecost. Here's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you read Acts chapter 1 and you see the context, you will understand this isn't just the 12 in that upper room. There's tons of them in there. It's a bunch of believers. And the Holy Spirit falls on all of them. Not just the select few, not just the professionals, but they all receive the Holy Spirit and they all speak in other languages that the gospel might be preached in all nations. He gives it to everybody. This isn't just for the few. This is for all of us. After this, thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Things go well for a little while, but then everything turns. A persecution breaks out. They kill Stephen. And look what happens in Acts chapter 8. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but all these other Christians, they get expelled. Where are they going? All over the country. And as they go, they are bearing witness of the good news. They are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what happens next. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now look, this is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip the deacon. He was there with Stephen, one of that original crew of deacons. And look what he's doing. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's healing. He's doing signs. 
all the same things that the original 12, the 72, and now all of them are doing. This isn't for a select few. This is for everyone. God's call to be a witness doesn't come to a select few of us. He says, no, I want all of you to be my witnesses. I'm putting my Holy Spirit in every single one of you. And I've placed you in the particular place you are that you might be my witnesses everywhere. Don't put this off on somebody else. He's got you where you are on purpose. Students, back to when I would travel around and I would preach to different students, uh, I would say this. I would say, look, I don't, don't ask me to come to your high school to tell your friends about Jesus. Your high school doesn't need me to come. Do you know why? He's already sent somebody there. He sent you. You're already there. and Your friends will listen to you way more than they will listen to me. But that's not just for students, adults. That's for all of us. Don't, don't ask me to come to your workplace or your neighborhood. The Lord doesn't need me to come and preach the gospel there. Do you know why? He's already got somebody there. It's you. You are in your neighborhood for a reason, your workplace for a reason, your street for a reason. God says, I want to send my gospel everywhere, so I'll send my people everywhere. You and I are to be witnesses of the life of Jesus Christ to everyone we see by what we say, by how we live, by what we do, by how we treat one another. People ought to see the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out in us, but that's not for a couple of us. It's for all of us. And so don't look at this and say, well, somebody else is supposed to do that. No, he's giving that to us. It's all of our job. Here's the third reason that we might not be witnesses in our culture. You might say, Adam, I, I'm fine with that. I just didn't know there was any need for that. I just assumed everybody was already Christian because Adam, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we live in Alabama. We are in the Bible Belt. And Adam, everyone here is a Christian. Everyone grew up in church. Everybody knows this. And look, you might be tempted to believe that. If you grew up in the South like I did, you might say, Adam, I grew up in a Christian culture and I feel like everybody knew about Jesus. Even if you're a transplant to Birmingham and you moved here, you might have assumed that everyone's a Christian because one of the first three questions you probably got asked was, where you go to church? And you didn't know because you just moved here. That's a very weird question to be asked first time you move. So you might just assume, well, Adam, I just assume everybody here is already a Christian. They've already heard it. They don't need me to tell them because they've already heard it. Therefore, I don't need to share. I need you to hear me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you guys are longtime Double Oak people, you might know this. Uh, about 10 years ago, I, I found a, a place online with some, some good data uh, on what is happening in religion in America. It's a book called The Association of Religious Data Archives. You can go look it up, ARDA. Uh, and they build really off of a lot of different data sets from a lot of different people. They conglomerate this into one archived place. But a lot of this data comes from uh, census surveys, surveys that are done every 10 years. And so 10 years ago, we got to look at the data of what's happening in Shelby County. We talked about that a lot, about the need of the gospel right here in Shelby County, Alabama. Well, I've been waiting on the 2020 census data to drop. And last week, it did. And I'm finally beginning to kind of dig into this new data of what was happening right here in Shelby County in 2020 versus 2010. And look, it's fascinating what you can find out looking at this data. But before I show you some of this, uh, I need to give you a couple of caveats, a couple of warnings. Uh, first off, uh, you need to understand this data is fuzzy, all right? This is fuzzy data. 
it is incredibly hard to get hyper-specific data down to the granular level about churches and religious experience. Think about it. Even denominations have a hard time getting like accurate data getting sent to them that they could actually report. And then what about all the non-denominational churches that don't report to anybody? How are you going to get that data? How are you going to get everybody to report it? Okay, so this is in some sense approximations from the people that they do get, but this is not like hyper accurate data that we can show you. Secondly, they collected this data in 2020. Some things happened in 2020, all right? It was a little bit hard to go door to door and start getting data, breathing on people in 2020 that you could then put into a report, right? And a lot has changed since, since 2020 and even 2023. So you say, well, Adam, you're not making me very confident in this data. If this data is so fuzzy, why are we even looking at data like this? Well, A, because it's the best we've got, all right? B, you can still look at the broad outlines and broad contours of what is happening to give you an idea about what is happening in Shelby County, Alabama, religiously. So let me show you some things. Uh, first off, Shelby County grew by 28,000 people over the last 10 years. That's good news, Right? We're living in a growing area. 28,000 people moved in. There's about 223,000 people now living in Shelby County. All right? So we grew by over 10%. That's actually a really good growth rate. Religious participation grew as well by 13,000 people. There are 13,000 more religiously affiliated people now than there were 10 years ago. That's good. However, you might notice that that's smaller than the number of people who actually moved into town. Uh, religious participation overall was flat at around 44%. Okay, that's good and bad news. Uh, you might have heard through the news about how religion is dying in America and everybody's giving up on Christianity and nobody believes anymore. Well, in Shelby County, we didn't really lose anybody. It stayed flat. It's almost exactly the same now as it was 10 years ago. So we didn't decline. The bad news is we also didn't increase either. We didn't see a large increase in the religious participation uh, rate of people right here in Shelby County. And then the Christian religious affiliation is 42%. So if you take out other faiths and just look at Christian denominations, and that's all Christian denominations with no distinctions whatsoever, 42% of Shelby County would identify themselves and are affiliated with a Christian denomination. All right? So that's kind of the good news, but let's look at some more specific stuff. So here's the next slide. Evangelical Protestants comprise 30% of Shelby County. Now, evangelical Protestants, that's us. We are evangelical Protestants, all right? We believe in the gospel. We believe in sharing the gospel. Uh, we are evangelicals. That, that's Baptists, that's Presbyterians, uh, that's Church of Christ, uh, that's non-denominational uh, churches. We are evangelical Protestants. Th that's only 30% of Shelby County. Here's what that means. Evangelical Protestants are outnumbered two to one in Shelby County. I want you to let that sink in for just a second. Evangelical Protestants like you are outnumbered two to one in Shelby County. For every three people in this county, only one of them is like you. Another 60, 66% are not at all. Please know, we are one of the most biblically literate cities in America. We are one of the most religiously devout cities in America. And you and I are outnumbered two to one in our home county. 56% of our home county doesn't participate in any sort of religious life. That's generous. That's of any kind. 56%, over half the people in our county do not participate in any kind of religious life whatsoever. None. Which means when you meet somebody, flip a coin, and half the time or a little more, you're going to meet somebody who does not believe in any sort of religious expression, or at least doesn't practice it. 
And here's what that means in real numbers. And this is the most generous number you can come up with. There were over 120,000 people in our county with no religious affiliation. In Shelby County, Alabama, 120,000 people who do not claim to believe the gospel, who do not claim any sort of religious affiliation whatsoever. Look at the fields. They are white for harvest. You do not have to go across an ocean. You do not have to go on a mission trip. They're right here. 120,000 people right here. And so when you meet somebody, please don't assume that they already know the gospel. Please don't assume that they already believe in Jesus. Talk to them. Ask them what their life in Jesus Christ is like. Ask them if they, they have any sort of religious faith whatsoever. Build up a relationship. Begin to share who Jesus is. But don't assume that there's no need because everybody already knows that's just not the case. And it hasn't been the case. But you know what this means? This means we need a ton more churches in Shelby County. I've been hearing this my entire life. I grew up in Alabama. Man, you can't swing a stick without hitting a church in Birmingham, Alabama. You hearing that? We've got too many churches in Alabama. No, false, untrue. We need to double the number of churches in Birmingham, Alabama. What? Yes. If God gives us the revival that we're all praying for and 120,000 people came to Christ, where are you going to put them? Not here. Did you show up at Easter last week? It was crowded with 1,800 people. What are you going to do with 120,000? You're going to need new churches. You're going to need new campuses. You're going to need new congregations. You're going to need new places that can love and serve people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Man, I hope you'll start doing what I do. Whenever you're driving around the city, whenever you see a church, you ought to pray for that pastor and pray for that church. Pray for every single one of them. We need every single Bible-believing, Christ-preaching church to double. So pray for their pastors. Pray for their congregations. Pray that the Lord will bring revival there, if not everywhere. But we need more. Praise God that we have the opportunity to start a second campus. It is growing as we speak. We have hundreds more people worshiping through Double Oak Community Church now than what we did 10 years ago. But that's in the hundreds. We got, we got issues in the thousands. We have opportunities to share the gospel, and God has called us to do it. He's put us here, right here, in this time, among these people, to share the gospel with the people around us. He has made us his witnesses, filled with his Holy Spirit. Here's the fourth thing. You might just say, Adam, I'm not a witness because I don't know how to. Adam, I'm scared of that. I would prefer you to do it. I don't know what that looks like. What am I supposed to do? And that's fair. That's a legitimate fear. And look, that's where we can help you. We can come alongside you to encourage you. We can come alongside to, to, to teach you and to, to train you over time to, to melt, help you be more comfortable in doing this. But, but guys, I got great news for you. You already have the greatest teacher you could possibly have. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he will speak through you. Do you realize that the Lord can speak through you and your personality and your experiences in ways that I never could? There are people who will listen to you who will never listen to me, but they'll listen to you as God pours his, his spirit through you and as you reveal Christ to them, as you show Christ to them, as you speak the good news to them. We need all of our voices sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, helping our neighbors, loving our neighbors, 
telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. You can't leave it to one person or one church or one group of people. All of us are called to be his witnesses filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so look, I hope you'll, you'll pray with me. As we look out at our county and we see the growth and we see more houses going up and more opportunities and hopefully more people moving here into town, we have even more opportunity to share the gospel. We must pray that God would send a revival. We must pray that God would use us in powerful ways to, to show and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray and ask God to open up our eyes to the possibilities, open up our eyes to the people we can talk to, the people we encounter that maybe we just assume they were fine. Talk to them, see what happens, and watch the Lord move through you powerfully. I've heard so many stories of you sharing the gospel over these past 10 years, but we have another opportunity to do that even more. Jesus Christ has called us to be his witnesses to the entire world. How is he calling you to fill out that calling? So do this one. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask that question again. Are you a witness? You don't have to put on a sandwich board and go yell at people on street corners. Nobody's asking anybody to do that. But do people see Jesus in you? Do they know that you're a believer? Do they see something different in you? Do they know that they can, they, they can talk to you? If they want to know about things of Jesus Christ, even if they don't, they don't believe in Christ, could they not deny that there's something different about the way you treat others, about the way you speak, about the way you, you handle yourself? Are we witnesses? And if not, maybe why not? Search your heart this morning and say, Adam, I don't know if I am, but what's the reason for that? And maybe you'll find fear. Maybe, maybe you'll find just a kind of a passing off of the responsibility. Maybe you just assumed it wasn't necessary. But this morning, as you see this calling, you hear Jesus saying, I'm sending you. You're my witness right where you're at. You don't have to go on a mission trip to some far off land, even just right now, this week, today, tomorrow. You got an opportunity to share the gospel, to show the gospel. Why would we not share it? Why would we not share him? So if you find fear, that confess that to the Lord. You find a, a hesitancy, confess it to the Lord. But if you, if you don't find any desire there at all, then maybe today is the day you can just say, Jesus, I, I want to know you. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to pretend. But I want to have that passion of knowing that you are so good. I could not help but share you with other people. Talk to him. And if you're ready today, even right now, surrender your heart to him and say, Jesus, I do need you. I'm tired of chasing after the things of this world. And Jesus, I do need you. You're better than I thought. You're better than I imagined. Jesus, thank you. Talk to him. Reach out to him. And let him show you his goodness. Father, I am so grateful for this congregation, my brothers, my sisters, the family of faith that you've been building for almost two decades now. 
for the opportunities you, you've given us in this past 10 years. And Lord, we, we got another 10 in front of us. We got more opportunity, more people to share your gospel with. Would you open up our eyes to, to see specific names and faces, specific opportunities, places where we can share you with the people around us? God, we, we don't have any power to, to change lives, but you do. And so, Lord, would you move through our, our feeble efforts, our feeble words, and by your Holy Spirit power, Lord, would you do what we cannot, and would you draw people to yourself? And, Lord, we'll give you all the glory for it. God, may this place be filled not so we can tout numbers or a name. God, may they forget our name and the name of our congregation, but may your name be lifted up, and may more people come to faith in you. And, Lord, together, we will sing your praises now and forevermore. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand up with me if you will. Let's sing the hymn of response to the Lord together. You come as the Lord leads you.